My name is Eric McCoy, and welcome back to High Wall Clean. Since this podcast is really designed to work to destroy the stigma of substance abuse, I want to take you backwards a little bit, and I want to take you into the world that fits with the stigma. And I'm going to tell you a story today of an individual who would be defined probably as a bad person, as a criminal, but is that really who this person is? I'm going to open the door today to the ugly world of drug dependency. Now, it's important to me that people can have faith and trust in my understanding of that underground world. And I want to break open the darkness, and I want to tell a story for the judgmental to hate, but I want to show the world that change is possible no matter how far down the road you have gone, and maybe give hope to those convinced that a family member is never going to return. How can I do this? Well, stay tuned as I tell a story of a person that was lost, and that fits the stigma of substance abuse, but eventually was found, and maybe breaks apart that stigma. This is someone who fought for his life and then fought to help others save their life. Now, I'll see you in a minute. The story I'm about to tell begins many, many years ago, but I want to fast track forward to a time where a relapse nearly took this individual's life. He had over a decade clean and sober, and some that are watching may know who I'm talking about here, but a single decision spun his life into a nightmare that he wasn't really prepared for, but he should have been. And once he took that first hit, he knew he was fucked. While clean and sober, this man is a man of integrity, determination, and he'd help anybody who who was struggling and give the shirt off his own back. On drugs, he cared about nobody. And he'd rob you blind without hesitation. And that is exactly what he did. Methamphetamine was his demon. And with the increased energy, the focus, and commitment to maintain his supply, this guy's head would spin with ideas that surely inflicted harm on anybody that was in his way. Snorting and smoking meth had little interest for him. And once the decision to use his preferred method of intravenous use, life would become intense. And insane was probably the best word that you could use to define this guy. 
This individual committed an average of seven residential burglaries a night, stealing anything that he felt had value that he could sell on eBay. With a credit card reader, writer that he drove around with and a laptop, he was able to transfer credit card numbers onto any credit card so nobody was of the wiser that their information had been stolen. An embosser would allow him the ability to punch any information onto a blank card. Hours, days, this person mastered a template to make IDs or driver's license, and he could become anybody that he chose. As far as his drug use and supply went, he began buying it by the quarter pound. He was sticking a needle in his arm an average of eight to 10 times a day, amounting to probably an eight ball, which is about three and a half grams, but probably closer to two eight balls a day. Now, another way that he attempted to supply his habit was to sell off his supply to make money. Now, for anybody that did drugs and tried to sell it, you all know that it's not very profitable when you're digging so heavily into your supply. So if you're doing, you know, two eight balls a day, which is an ounce every four days, and a quarter pound is four ounces, you only have about 16 days worth. A quarter pound is about $1,000. He had to sell probably five eight balls to make that $1,000. But since he had been out of the game for so many years, selling the amount, that amount was almost impossible. That lifestyle took him back into renting hotel rooms. And with supply as the main goal, desperation was always what drove this individual. Everything that was truly important to him was gone. Survival was the game. And since nothing beats survival, it felt like a life or death battle that only methamphetamine would cure. Now, I'm not sure if everybody is understanding exactly what is happening to this man. But any time that you put a drug or something into your body, your body changes to function as well as possible with what you're ultimately putting in there. Your brain changes. And at this point, much, much of his functioning is now dependent upon this drug to work to stay awake, to feel any sense of pleasure and not fall into a deep depression. And any glimpse of focus is only going to work with that demon. This guy felt completely isolated. Loneliness could only be helped by that devil. And maybe... He has sold his soul to the devil. Now, I want to introduce you to the man that I am speaking about. My name is Eric McCoy, and that was a glimpse of my story. You know, Wes made a statement in our last podcast that recovery is about letting go of who you are not and becoming who you truly are. 
Am I a bad person? I did bad things. But when I look at myself today, that's not who I am. That is not who I am. Who is that person? You know, whether you realize it or not, that statement is all that matters. And honesty is all that matters in recovery. If I can stay true to myself by being who I truly am, honesty to others is going to become very, very easy. Think about it. So if I say that I will have a drink because nobody is going to know, then I'm saying that the judgment of other people's matter, not the judgment of myself. And so I'm not staying true to myself. When we're stuck in our drug use, lies, manipulation, and deceit are our principles that we live by. In 2013, after I had relapsed, my dishonesty hit levels to manipulate in extremes. Honesty was my tool to combat my dishonesty. And this is why for me, integrity is the foundation by which I work to live. It's an ideal. I'm not perfect, but, but I work very, very hard at it. You know, in February of 2014, it became evident by my employer, which was a treatment program that I did work for, that I had relapsed. Although she had no solid proof of this, she brought me into her office and she told me that I was going to be suspended and accused me without specifically saying that I was on drugs. I was pissed and angry. I left her office. But I needed to devise a plan that would at least create some doubt. And this is what I did. And there's a reason that I want to tell people this. Because of my weight loss, which is very, very fast when I get on methamphetamine, I created an illness and a doctor that was going to notify her. I typed a letter which I faxed from a secure number, and I set up a phone number that she could call with an answer machine. Now, again, I want to share this. So to show how far that we will go on drugs as we ultimately lose ourselves. If anybody thinks that a story from someone who is dependent on drugs that sounds so detailed and you think, my God, it has to be real. Nobody would make up a story like that. Think again. Now I'm going to leave out the name of my employer, and I am going to bring this up on the screen. But this is the letter that I had actually faxed. Dear, and then the employer, this letter is to serve in what I believe to be the best interest of my patient. Eric McCoy. He's not given me 
and actually has specifically informed me not to disclose the information that I am going to be forthcoming with. We discussed at length his situation at your firm. He has currently been suspended for not being able to fulfill his duties. And I just learned this this morning, that the staff at your organization believe that he is currently or has been on drugs. He has requested that I submit a letter outlining the dates of service and the various diagnoses from November 25th, 2013. When he was diagnosed as having an ulcer to the present time in which he was recently released from Kaiser's mental health facility in Los Angeles, everything I have mentioned thus far is accurate, but it's not the whole story. He is angry and has no interest in returning to work for you. But I feel obligated to help fill in the gaps. Mr. McCoy was referred to my office back in May 2011 because of shuria, or urinary retention. We ran tests and identified higher than normal levels of PSA, which is a protein that's released by the prostate. We eventually narrowed the problem to stage 2B prostate cancer. In 2011, he started on hormone therapy to theoretically shrink the tumor so we could remove it surgically. It was very successful and things seemed okay until early November of last year. He started having similar symptoms as in 2011. We confirmed its return with another biopsy. We restarted him on hormone therapy in November and began a more aggressive tactic, radiation therapy at the end of January. Many of the issues that Mr. McCoy presented to you were either a direct result of the hormone or radiation therapy, with the exception of the ulcer, which I correlate to stress. From my understanding, my team and I, Mr. McCoy, and now you are the only people that are aware of this. He is a very proud man and believes that if people find out about this, there will be devastating negative consequences. I obviously met Mr. McCoy in the beginning of this ordeal. I watched him lose his business because of what we are discussing and now has lost his job, which clearly is nobody's fault but his own. His decision to keep people wondering is what has put him in this predicament. Mr. McCoy thinks very highly of you, Miss the name of the employer. He was so excited when he had the opportunity to work for you. Please keep this communication between you and I. He isn't expecting anything from you at this time. I spoke to him this morning and he told me not to contact you because they think I am on dope. This was his statement. The problem that he failed to see is that he technically is on dope and many of the side effects of his treatment medications can be similar to other drugs. Anger, confusion, emotional instability, cognitive difficulties, nausea, vomiting, weight loss, etc. My choice to contact you is strictly because I like Mr. McCoy. He will be okay. He is closely monitored for the cancer and sees a therapist regularly to deal with the stress and depression. He has done some damage by not telling people what he has been going through sincerely and the doctor's name. This was the letter that I had put together and I sent. Sounds legit. And she did buy it. Once I decided to get clean again, 
you know, integrity and honesty became my mission to seek out that person that I no longer was. You know, we've all heard the saying by Mahatma Gandhi, right? Your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values and your values become your destiny. Our words, our thoughts, and our beliefs have some of the most powerful influences on our behavior, as Gandhi identified. You know, a lot, a lot of people don't understand the true power that we have simply by believing wholeheartedly in something. You know, in 2002, I pled guilty to six felonies and numerous misdemeanors. And as a lot of people believe, my life was over. Who's going to hire a six-time convicted felon? Why would anybody ever have faith in me again? While I was in custody, I had plenty of time to think, to read, and study, which is basically what I did. I spent a lot of time doing that. I had very little confidence in my ability to stay clean let alone get a job or hold a job. But I disputed every one of those doubts that I had about myself after getting out of custody. Now, I want to say the statement that I love to say, and I've said it many times, no matter where you have been or what you have done, you can do anything you want if you are willing to fight for it. <laughs> I worked with a guy who had spent 17 years in prison for attempted murder. When he was 17 years old, he shot somebody in the head. The person survived, so it was ultimately attempted murder. He was sentenced to 15 years to life because he committed the crime for the benefit of a gang, which ultimately added these enhancements. And it also allowed them to charge him as an adult. You know, I went and picked this guy up and, and brought him into the program. And he was one of the nicest, motivated, and patient individuals that I probably have ever worked with. And he proved this idea. No matter where you have been or what you have done, you can do anything you want if you're willing to fight for it. This guy wanted that life that we all dream about. And he figured out a plan that he was willing to fight for. He secured a job at a fast food restaurant and he enrolled in school and he majored in business. Now, obviously, I haven't kept track of him for many, many, many years, but the last I had heard was he was in school. He was getting raises. He was getting um, put in higher positions and he was ultimately doing what he wanted to do. And he was proving people wrong. He was living a life of integrity. You know, he was an ex-gang member who was convicted. He was sentenced to life in prison and became a productive member of society and studied business. And this is only one story of thousands who have eliminated that stigma. 
Wes and I talked a little bit about, and he kind of brought up the idea that we are not our actions. We're the one that has done those things, but that is not who we are. When I'm on drugs, watch out. I do a lot of bad things, but that's not really who I am as a person. When I'm clean and sober, I'm different. And I want people to see that. This is also why I put so much emphasis on giving back because I owe a lot. And that's what I'm trying to do is to give back and be a good person. You know, values hold a key that we have to unlock. Who am I? You know, this is a difficult question for a lot of individuals early in recovery. Because again, it is a world of hypocrisy. But this can be the most important question to think about. A lot of counselors or therapists, they don't put a lot of emphasis on helping their clients identify who they truly are as a person. They make comments, you're an addict, you're depressed, you're bipolar, you're schizophrenic. And these are labels. And these hold a lot of serious symptoms that are reinforced and may trigger future relapses. You know, a lot of the behavior of an addict doesn't fit in with the true values or morals of that individual. I facilitated a lot of groups on the topic of values and helping people embrace those things that are really, really important to them, you know, at this moment in time, what do you value and what is most important to you? You know, family, friends, happiness, sobriety, health are probably the most common answers that I've received from, you know, individuals that are most important to them. If family, friends, happiness, sobriety, and health are most important, then how could anybody choose to relapse and throw all of those away? An individual who is dependent on drugs or alcohol are going to hold one value, and that's to get high or to get drunk. And realistically, when we do it for a lot of years, just to maintain or be awake. And since that's the most important to them, all their behaviors, thoughts, desires, and interests are going to revolve around that substance. If you're a family member and you feel that you're not valued or loved by the person that is currently abusing drugs, you aren't. Does your family member love you anymore? Probably. But we got to remember that substance abuse has nothing to do with love. And I've said this numerous times, nothing to do with love. It has to do with an obsession to a chemical that causes a physical dependence to function and a mental change that creates beliefs that I cannot live without this. With awareness and an understanding of what I value clean and sober, I will never use methamphetamine again if I'm able to hold on to those values. For me to relapse, 
And I never relapsed with the mindset of, I'm going to just fuck up my life today, or I just want to hurt everybody, or I just want to hate everybody. But I had to eliminate my awareness for it because it had to make sense to me. How do you define yourself? Well, most people early in recovery define themselves by how they compare to other people or only focusing on negative attributes. We're not talking about roles, relationships, or behaviors when we define ourselves. This is not a job that I can do for you, but I can help identify areas that you can look for. Listen to what I'm going to say here. Integrity is the foundational principle that will guide you in the right direction. Think about this. Integrity is living out this, who am I question? By showing the world through my words, my ideas, and my behaviors, a person of undeniable greatness. You know, and sadly, this is a person rarely seen in the world today. But the opportunity to look at things that most people don't. The more dysfunctional that you become, the more visible your unhealthy traits are going to be. An individual who is sober, who relapses, gets sober again and relapses. We live in a world of hypocrisy. Integrity entails the integration of our values, morals, standards, behavior that we choose to live by. If I feel that treating people with respect is a moral standard that I live by, then my behavior needs to show this. If I believe that stealing is wrong and I choose to steal after I relapse, I've violated my standard. And this is the whole reason why many cannot answer the question very well, especially if they've been using for a lot of years. You know, you may have spent time violating your values and morals and living a life without integrity. And what does this do? This creates a disconnect in understanding what is real or not. This concept that we're discussing requires the ability to behave in a way that isn't reliant on others' behaviors, actions, or attitudes. So if my respect is dependent on getting respect from others, as a lot of people believe that I will respect you as long as you respect me, then I won't have integrity because this is based on something I have no control over. What is that? You. I don't have any control over you. This is an ideal though. And I want everybody to understand this is an ideal that we're talking about because this does allow us to make mistakes. We are not perfect. We can learn from these mistakes and we can change them based on the lessons that we've gained. Pain Failure and misery and mistakes are the stepping stone to success. Happy are those that feel life and they grow from an opportunistic suffering. Who am I? Well, I want to tell you how I define myself. I am intelligent. I'm passionate. 
and I'm driven. Who am I? I'm determined. I am determined to make a difference. And I'm speaking out against the atrocities in this industry. Who am I? I'm the person that is going to speak for those who have no voice. I demand that we have experts that work in the industry instead of degrees. And I've said that a lot of times. Who am I? I'm a survivor. You know, a survivor is defined as someone who lives after going through something where a lot of people have died. All individuals who have survived the near-death experiences of chemical abuse are survivors. This survivor quality, this carries a lot of traits that we own and we can utilize if we choose that can help define us. Surviving that lifestyle, it requires creativity and it requires a improvisation that can help you. You can become a great leader. I'm reliable. I'm honest. I'm respectful. And I will go the extra mile to help others and myself. I have to take care of myself. All of the qualities that I look for in people are naturally important to me. Otherwise, I wouldn't seek out those in others. I choose to only associate with individuals who respect me, are happy, and have a purpose that directs them. Why is this important to me? Well, respect, happiness, and purpose they intertwine with each other and they create characteristics that become enjoyable experiences to associate with. I respect all values. I respect all opinions, beliefs, and perspectives, unless they are designed to inflict harm on other people. My values, my opinions, my beliefs, and my perspectives are going to intertwine with my purpose. You know, this adds fire to the happiness that I already experience in life. I choose to associate with individuals who respect that. You know, as, a, as an analytical thinker, I enjoy talking about difficult topics and I, I really enjoy listening to other people's ideas without judgment or condemnation. Why? Because I'm always going to remain a student. Now, this does not mean that I'm going to agree with everything I hear and a lot of times that I don't, but I am able to gain knowledge through my disagreements. Who am I? I am empathetic. I'm trustworthy. And I'm caring. I hold strong values of ethics. And I am disgusted by agendas and personal interests that are killing people. What you see is what you get. I'm real, which says that I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say nothing behind your back that I wouldn't say to your face. And I will speak as truthful as I can based on the information that I have. 
Who am I? Well, and I've said this before, this is a trick question. And you're never going to come up with a solid, definable answer to this. It is an exciting question to ask because it is going to take you on a journey of exploring, transforming, and engaging a process that is going to be ongoing. Don't get stuck on the who, but rather on what. What am I passionate about? What are my desires? What do I believe? What am I going to achieve? These are questions that we can answer. And we can eliminate the vagueness and uncertainty of that first question. You know, I am nothing more and nothing less than me. I am my friend. I am my ally. And I'm my helper. I want to thank everybody for joining me today on another episode of High While Clean. Keep getting high. Again, I do it clean and sober. I hope you do too. I'll see you soon.